Hey, good morning. It's another episode of Leveling Up with Brigham Blackham. I have my good friend, Jordan Lee. He is a master of real estate. Really grateful to have him on today. He really understands why most people fail in real estate. And we're going to talk about some red flags today, talk about some great actionable tips and tricks because he really understands this. He's the owner of Beast Real Estate and uh, cash flowing uh, investments, a great example of what happens when you take consistent action in real estate and what's possible. So Jordan, how are you doing today? Doing good. A little bit uh, exhausted from my gym session. That's a good thing. Today, but uh, <laughs> yeah, other than that, we're doing, we're doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your background. Why, why real estate? Why uh, you're in this game? And then uh, after we hear a little bit more about your your origin stories, we maybe dive into this, why most people, you know, struggle in real estate. I'll keep the background story short, just because I think a lot of, everybody has background story, but I think the reason, I'll give you my why is, when I was a little kid, um, my grandparents would always come over for Christmas, and they would get us these really big presents, and we were, you know, my dad's a painter. He did well for himself, but we were no by, by no means, yeah, multimillionaires. And yeah. I have six siblings, so there's seven of us. But uh everybody thought we were like the richest family on the block because literally every uh Christmas my my grandparents would get us one big present that would make us look amazing. I remember one one year he got us a pool table and it was like the Lees have a pool table in their house, right? That was a big thing. And then the next year he got us four desktops when I was young. And it was like, not everybody had desktops. We had literally two in our pool table room and two in the back office. And then the next year he got us a batting cage for the side of our house. That's cool. Um, and like the next year he got us a weight set and, you know, it was just interesting seeing my grandparents. I didn't really know what they did. Because I'd I'd ask my parents, they're like, they do real estate. I was like, okay, what what's that mean, right? And I really didn't know what he did until I was like 20-something. Like, I, I'd, I'd ask him, and I always wanted to be in real estate, but he didn't really talk to me about it until I got into real estate myself. Yeah. And, but that was like the motivation of why I, I wanted to be in real estate. And looking back, I should have probably shown a little bit more interest to him vocally, but he's the kind of a guy that kept to himself. And now I can ask him any question I want. He's, he'll never give me a dime, but he'll give me knowledge. And um, so, yeah, I, I had that, that itch to be in real estate because I understood passive income. I understood the concept of rent when I was, you know, probably 10 years old when you're sitting in elementary school and you have these math problems where they say, you know, here's the mortgage payment and here's the rents. How much did they make at the end of the month? And that stuff really intrigued me. Um, anyway, yeah, I got off my mission and read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think it's, it was the, I, I asked my business mentor who was, you know, one year older than me and was the president of the entrepreneur club at my school. He's like, yeah, you need to read. If you want to get started in business, you need to read one book. And that's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I wasn't the best reader, but that uh, that book's very easy to read. Yeah. <laughs> so read that. And then pretty much after that, I 
didn't know how to get into real estate still. So I decided to make some money doing door-to-door sales. And long story short, did really well in that. Started buying multiple homes and house hacking, fourplexes and house hacking. Again, another fourplex and house hacking. And by the time I was around 27 years old, I had acquired a little over $10 million of real estate. Um, and it was all on autopilot. I didn't really do anything. So I was like, all right, I think I could do this full time. So like a lot of people, I went and got my license and I realized very quickly that I like representing myself than more than I represent people buying or selling just their dream home. Mm-hmm. And, and I gravitated towards investors. So if a guy came and said, Hey, I want to partner with you on a fix and flip. I want to partner with you on a duplex. I started syndicating, not knowing what syndication was. It was very much on accident. Mm-hmm. Um, people that were in door to door, people that were mailmen or plumbers, I would essentially tell them, I'm going to partner with you. I'll go get the financing or, or you go get the financing, either one. I'll provide the down payment or you provide the down payment. And I'll pretty much manage the property and do all the legwork while you do your day job and we'll split the profits. So started doing that, not knowing that there was a word for it. Um, and then about two or three years into real estate, I was watching a real estate video. Um, meet Kevin. Who oh, yeah. Was, he was talking about Grant Cardone, who was my hero at the time because he's the ultimate. He Grant wasn't really as much into real estate at this time. He was more into sales. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just beginning his real estate career. But when Grant begins something, he goes a million miles an hour. So I love Grant because he wrote a book called Seller Be Sold. And it was one of my favorite sales books. So when mm-hmm. Kevin started talking about Grant's way of doing business and syndicating deals, I was like, oh my gosh, that's literally what I'm doing. I'm just doing it on a small scale. So when you look at Grant, Grant was doing these 400 unit apartment complexes. And I said, well, I could do, you know, 50 units. I could do something bigger. Um, and then fast forward, our my first big deal was a 70 unit apartment complex. And we ended up raising... When I say we, I brought my brother on and we ended up raising about a million and a half between the down payment and renovations. The rest was through financing and it just kickstarted the syndication career and cash flow and investments. And that really took off. I mean, before that I was mostly doing, most of my income was coming from being an agent and representing either myself or friends or family that wanted to buy investment properties. And over the course of six months, it flip-flopped. Um, I was making probably double or triple the amount doing bigger deals. Mm -hmm. And that's where we've been spending a lot more of our time recently. Um, passed my broker's license test in August this year and just got my broker's license. So we're actually rebranding beast real estate to CFI realty. So it's the real estate company is the realty and then cashflow and investments is our syndication company. Um, that's very recent, but that's, uh, yeah. So CFI, CFI realty.com and cashflow and investments.com two separate businesses. I still want to help people buy and sell. And, and really the realty business is so we can in-house the property management because we do all of our own property management. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was probably longer than I wanted it to be, but that's, 
that's kind of the intro of how I got started. I love it. And what's cool is you didn't just get started, you stayed started and you <laughs> stayed going at it. And as you have new opportunities come about, you recognize them and you took action on it. So let's let's talk about this this main topic of why most people fail in real estate. A lot of people talk about, hey, I want to do it, but there's some type of block. And I want to hear some of your your red flags and some of the experience that you've had to be able to help people break through their their self-limiting beliefs and maybe uh, some of the reasons why people get taken out of the game. Yeah. So number one, I think it's because most people don't know what they want. Hmm. So for example, um, I hear a lot of people, especially when the market was hot in COVID, everybody wanted to be a fix and flipper. Right? Hmm. Like everybody. Um, and you ask them why, and they just say, oh, there's a lot of money in it. But at the same time, some of the guys that were getting into it should have had no business in getting in the flip game. Yeah. Full time, at least. They could have bought a house and sold it, and it was worth more the next day. So they thought they're a genius. But the reality, if if you're going to be in the fix and flip game or any type of game in real estate, you have to be the expert to make it work long term. Yeah. And I think most people, when they get into real estate, they have no clue where they actually want to end up. Cause I, I talk with people every day, every single day I have consultations. And the way I look at my job is I'm a financial advisor, right? Like um, people ask what I do. I say, I help people make, have their money, make them money. That's, that's what my job is full time, whether it's helping you buy a duplex, getting good systems and property management, or whether it's you're investing and partnering with us on a 80 unit trailer park in Bristol, Indiana, like the deal we're doing right now. Um, the, and the reality is, I think you have to know yourself because so many people that we work with, they say they want to be in real estate, but they don't want the job of going full-time in it. Or maybe they want to be in real estate, but they don't want to fix and flip. They just want to be an operator, which they should be an operator. They should create systems. For example, I, I know you're an operator, right? You have great systems on Airbnb. Yeah. You've showed me what links you use and everything. And it blows my mind. And the reality is, could Jordan Lee go out and start an Airbnb management business? Of course. Do I want to? Is that what gets me up in the morning? No. And But that's what gets you up in the morning. You like operations. I like networking and working with capital. Um, and my partner, he doesn't like that at all, right? So he likes finding the deals. And when people say real estate, and this is where I was confused as a little kid, when my grandpa said he did real estate, my grandpa kind of did everything, right? And he was wealthy. He was, he was definitely wealthy, but he wasn't legacy rich, if you know what I mean. Right? Like He wasn't like mega phenomenally rich. And I think he could have got there had he focused on one avenue. He did developments, and I think had he just focused on developments, he probably would have made a lot more money than dabbling into, hey, I'm going to do fix and flips. Hey, I'm going to do this. So the more I've learned and the more I mature in my real estate realm, the more I've learned that you can do everything, but you can't do it by yourself. You have to have a team, and it has to be systematic. So right now, Brigham's doing Airbnb. I'm doing syndications. 
Could we come together to where one day I'm making money off of Airbnb? Yes, but I'm not going to create the system. I'm going to go to Brigham and be like, hey, Brigham, let's let's co-partner on this. So many of my investors, are they want to buy Airbnbs. Can you manage them and kick me back something? And you're going to say, perfect, a lot of my guys just want to, they don't even want to manage their Airbnbs or they don't want to have Airbnbs. They want to own, you know, they want to put $2 million into a big deal into a hundred unit apartment complex as a down payment and they want passive income quarterly. So you can refer to me and, and that's how we make money. But uh, yeah, what I guess what I'm trying to summarize is you really have to sit down and talk to yourself and figure out what drives you. Because the fix and flips don't drive me as much. The being a property manager doesn't drive me as much. I've done all of it. And had I just sat down with a mentor that would have walked me through like, mm -hmm. hey, what do you need to do? And and actually had that consultation with me of what I love to do. I think I would have been a, on a trajectory to start a fund a lot sooner than I am now. So we'll be launching a fund in June. And that's always been the trajectory. I just didn't know it. So my one advice to people getting into real estate is sit down with people that are doing well, interview them, and don't just follow them because they have money. Because there's so many different paths to have money. Mm -hmm. Follow them because the activities that they do in the day are what you want to do in the day. And if that's motivating, you're not going to fail. Yeah. So just, yeah, to start off, I wanted to, to say focus on something. And that's, that's one of the biggest reasons people fail. They don't focus on any, any one thing in particular. Love that. And here's something that I, I've also, also noticed that when you get distracted by five or six different things, you don't really do any of them well. Exactly. So being able to, to say, what do I want to do? Why do I want to do it? And then choosing and saying, I'm going to do this only until I, I become an expert at it. That's a, Huge Correct. Help. Yeah. I mean, like even right now, I know I'm good at recruiting, right? Like at Vivent, I recruited, I don't even know how many people to be on my team and out of state teams. And I was managing, traveling when I was doing door-to-door -door sales. I know I can recruit. So for me right now, I, I could go out and just start recruiting agents. But the reality is the timing's not there, right? Like we're still getting the management systems in place. So I've I put a block on any recruiting for my brokerage until we have, you know, the right technology in place, the right systems in place, the right people in place to take over certain obligations. And if the time comes where we're super full on capital, recruiting is a fun activity for me. And I know I can do it, but I'm not going to divulge time and effort away from making the current hundreds of properties that we have between Texas and Idaho and Iowa and Indiana and North Dakota now and Utah to to where we're going to take away from that to go recruit. We have a big portfolio to manage and right now we're on a, we're hiring. So we're like trying to get good property managers, good people on so we have those systems in place. Love it. So if if I could ask you this question, when when you were first starting out and you're like, Hey, I'm getting into these bigger deals. What were some of the the times where you felt like your back was up against the wall or you, you felt like, man, this has to work. 
and how did you break through and and have some of those those aha moments in your early part of your career very early in my career i did not know about financing so like your first deal financing is going to be the hardest part like i i should preface that i i'm pretty good at selling a deal if it's good so for me raising capital wasn't the issue like going out telling people about a deal having them give me money for the deal i think for a lot of people that would be the issue and on that you have to work on your sales skills luckily i had sales skills i knew how to analyze deals because i had a ton of properties that i bought on my own um but getting started one thing that i wish somebody would have mentored me on is how to find financing Big, big mistake we made is we we hired a broker on our first deal and he charged $5,000 just as like a, a deposit. And he said, we will find you financing. Two weeks before closing, the best financing he could find us on that 70 unit apartment was a 9.3% interest rate. Yeah. It was insane. Um, it was terrible. And there was no communication. He signed the contract with us and handed us off to, you know, 20 other people that were collecting our stuff and this and that. He never communicated with us. To this day, we never got that money back. Um, but we ended up networking and finding a local credit union or not even a credit union, just like a local small bank down there, um, Origin Bank for anybody who wants to know in South Texas. And the guy that we were working with was able to order an appraisal and close a deal, a 70-unit apartment complex, in two weeks, like a 6% interest rate. So that was breakthrough. So what we learned quickly is a lot of brokers are not worth their time. Hmm. And they give you a couple options, probably where they make the most commission, I don't know but they weren't doing us well. So we started going to credit unions directly and small banks directly. And that was huge for us. And then what I learned later on, um, I don't know if it was through a podcast or through a mentor, but somebody else is going to get this golden nugget right now. There's 21 banks in the United States that are called dust lenders, D-U-S. Mm-hmm. And if you have over a certain amount in your portfolio, they they run it off of the operator, like, hey, you're a good operator, we'll lend to you. And then the size of the deal, which the the minimum is usually $2 million to have that breakthrough on, on interest rate. So the loan amount has to be over $2 million. And when you have a deal that size and you're a good operator, the interest rates are dramatically, dramatically lower because they're, uh, they're government loans, right? They're, in, they're uh, yeah. They're Fannie Mae, right? Or Freddie Mac. And those loans are just a lot cheaper. But, I mean, they are for bigger deals and for bigger operators. So once we did our first couple deals and we got a couple hundred units under our belt, we went to apply for that and we qualified somehow. And we're like, okay, sweet, we're in this network now. And if you go directly to a dust lender, there's no broker fee. Because a lot of times brokers will charge 1% plus for them brokering your deal. If you go directly to those lenders, brokers are going to hate me for talking about this. 
But if you go directly to those lenders, they don't charge an intermediary fee. So we we are essentially our own brokers, right? Mm-hmm. So that was something I learned early on. The other thing I'd say is a big breakthrough is when your back is against the wall, when you have $40,000 of earnest money on the line that you're going to lose, Yeah, that's where you learn who you are. We have never not raised enough capital for a deal ever. And some of the deals, we, we had a deal back in June. A guy had just sold a pest control company, had a lot of money to place, and he was going to buy the entire place. So we were just going to partner as the management company. And it was just him coming in on the deal. A week before the deal was closing, he went cold. Still to this day, I don't know what's what happened. Uh, he just stopped communicating with us and I had to hit the phone calls and you were actually in the office on that one. Yeah. Uh, it was Roma. We had one guy that was coming in with like, we needed actually like 1.4 and we had 200 and he was coming in with 1.2. So there's actually 200,000 that either we were going to come in or somebody else. But the reality is he backed out or we assumed he backed out to this day because still haven't heard from him. And we raised $1.2 million in five days. And you were there for that. You remember us hitting the phone, walking back. It was crazy. But we got it done. And the reality is good deals find good money. But you also got to know it takes time. So you just got to hit the phones and be willing to tell people about a good thing. I was part of a, I was part of an MLM a long time ago. Uh, side hustle. And I did really well. I was, uh, for people that are MLMs, they'll know what diamond status is, but usually diamond status is pretty high ranking. And I hit diamond status and, and the people ask me like, why are you not doing it anymore when I stopped? So, cause it's not my brand. And then if I get more ingrained into this, people are going to look at me as like, Jordan does network marketing. Jordan wants to get people to buy it like this, whatever the product was doesn't even matter. I don't want to say it because it's not who I am. Great, great product. But the reality is I live and breathe real estate. And I wanted people to think real estate when they thought of Jordan. Not think door-to-door sales, not think, um, you know, MLM. I want them to think, hey, Jordan can help me do real estate because that's what I enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. So that's where I put all my time and effort and, and now I'm willing to work above and beyond, even if it's less money, because I know I enjoy that work. And in the long run, I love real estate because it's forever, right? They're not making any more of it. I think that's a, a great a great way to really hone in on what you want to do is, is this my brand? And does this resonate with who I want to be? Not just today, but moving forward. Branding's I, I, huge. Because the... Uh, like even with Beast Real Estate, the reason I did Beast is it was our, t- I was with other brokerages, but Beast was my team name. It was what my nickname when I was a little kid. It was always written on my wall. I'd slap it on the way out my door before wrestling practice. Like I'm a beast, right? And, but the brand is huge. And that's the reason why we're branding to cash, to CFI Realty and cash flow and investments is we want people to know what our goal is. Our goal 
And anybody who talks to me, like before we go over a deal, I tell them what our criteria is. Our criteria is simple. We're not called appreciation investments. We're not buying stuff across the street of our Lehigh Main Street office where the building across the street is you know, a million dollars per door, where it's breaking even and everybody hopes that the value of real estate goes up, but it's hope. We only buy deals that have net operating income positive, like well above and beyond. We shoot for, depending on the market, but we usually want about a 6% cash on cash when we buy it. And if we value add, that's just the cherry on top, right? Mm -hmm. And people, when you do your numbers on a lot of properties, beginning, oh, this is, this goes with the subject, why people fail. They don't know how to underwrite a deal. Again, people will come to me and the rents are 2000 and the mortgage is 1800 and they think it's a good deal. Most of our deals, if our rent's a thousand uh, or sorry, 2000, we're taking 50% off of rents before we can cover our mortgage. So like if it's $2,000 rent, $1,000, half of that has to cover the mortgage 1.25 times. So half of rent has to cover the mortgage 125%. So the, the math would be that if it was $2,000 per rent, you'd do 2,000 divided by two or times 0.5 and that equals 1,000. And then you take a thousand divided by 1.25 um, or sorry. Yes. I always get backwards on math, but yeah, I think it's divided by 1.25 and the mortgage has to be at or below that. Right. Hmm. Let me make sure I just did that right. And easier when I calculate. So 2000 divided by two divided by 1.25. Yeah. So 800 bucks. So the mortgage has to be at or below 800 bucks in that case. And if it's not, we won't look at the property. Or if it if it's close, we'll negotiate, we'll go under contract, we'll do inspections, we'll figure out, can we get it there within the first six months? If we have to invest, how much will it take us to invest to get it there? Hmm. But the reality is, if you have something that cash flows, there's not a lot of ways you can go wrong. So people ask like, hey, like, tell me the bad about you. And one of the worst things probably about me that it doesn't sound bad, but in my brain, it's bad is I've never had a real estate deal go south. So I've never experienced people are like, hey, have you ever lost on a real estate deal? They want to hear about your failures. My failures have been more not scaling quick enough because I've probably played it a little bit too safe. But um, I'm pretty conservative on my investing. Mm -hmm. So when people say, Hey, do you want to go invest in this startup? I'm like, eh, like I don't do a lot of venture capital. I don't do a lot of Bitcoin just because my investment style and other people may have enough guts or extra cash that they want to do that. For me, I'm like, man, this was hard earned money. If I have you know, this amount of money, I want it to work for me and know that I'm not going to lose it. And the highest return on investment that you can get on something that's pretty much for sure is real estate. I can't think of anything else that's stable. Like they're not making more of it. People need housing. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a, has 
that low of risk, but also that high returns. You look at like the bonds, people are like, oh, bonds are safe. They only return five to 6%. Whereas a real estate deal, you may get five to 6% on cash flow, but you also have the principal pay down, which is, you know, two to 3% a year. You have the appreciation two to 3%, sometimes 20% a year. Yeah. And then you also have debt reduction or sorry, it talks about principal pay down debt reduction, but you also have tax benefits. So between those four levers, the tax benefits, principal pay down, the appreciation of the value going up and cash flow, those four things equal way over 5% or 6% that you could get on a bond. And it's essentially a for sure thing. So and one of the other things I love about real estate is that you you can actually buy it at a discount. You can negotiate where you can't go do that with stocks. You can't do that with gold. You can't do that with silver. There's so many other commodities, other vehicles that are good. You can get good, good returns, but you're leaving out, you know, 75% of the value of what real estate can do for you. So yes. here's something that I think is really interesting. When we've, we've talked in the past about how you do different value adds, a lot of it is in the way that you manage your properties at right. scale, not just uh, individual. Cause I mean, landlords only do one or two properties. They're really not gonna be able to get that type of benefit. But when you do economies of scale, can you talk about how you're able to actually uh, lower some of those expenses so you can increase your net operating income? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's literally is, is just economy of scale. You think of Costco, right. And you're buying in bulk, you get cheaper prices. People, first off, they think about the price per door is cheaper when you buy more doors. That is true. But what's even cooler is the negotiating power on renovations. So we had a roof on a 65 unit deal at, at multiple houses and then a bunch of apartments. It's literally an entire street. And we had some roofing com companies come in and bid the whole place like literally 400,000. And we ended up getting the job done for 220 from a guy who had a great experience. The roofs looked great. It wasn't cheap. We actually had negotiated with him because we not only give him that job, we give him another job two miles away with 50 units and gave him the opportunity to look at other units for the future, if there's hell damage or anything like that, on another 110 units. So because he had the work and he knew he was getting two jobs and he knew that this is going to be repeat business. We're buying in this area. And we he had seen that we kept buying in this area. He gave us a, a discount, astronomical discount. And it, it was still good work. It wasn't, you know, done cheaply. And that goes with the paint job too. Like the paint job, we've used different painters. And when you have economy of scale, you use a couple painters. Eventually, you know, your guy You're like, okay, this is my guy. And I know that he can do it for good at this price. He's making money, we're making money, and nobody's getting screwed over. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, economies of scale is everything. And then, so you got price negotiation, right? Per door is cheaper. You have, if you're doing good operations, then you're you're getting the cost of renovations down lower. But the big thing that people don't think about is lending. Lending's cheaper, the bigger the deal. You don't know that unless you do big deals. Like you get, there's a $2 million threshold where the rate goes down significantly. And then the next threshold is about five and a half million. And at that dollar mark, if your loan amount is at or greater than that, you're getting another price reduction. Hmm. 
So that's huge on single family homes. It's like they don't care about the price. They care about the, the de, uh, loan to value. And the loan to value is still important in big deals, but they want big money because they know it's going to velocitize. And there's in commercial deal, there's usually a balloon payment. It's not, you know, 30 year loans. They usually have five, seven and 10 year balloon payoffs or refinance. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, con- economies of scale is huge. And then just operators. <laughs> if you have a small portfolio and you're hiring one property manager, that one property manager quits. Sucks. You have to retrain somebody you have to hire, right? If you have a big portfolio and you have four that are working together and one gives a two week notice, you have three people that are not only searching for another employee, but they can, they just have to take over a little more, more workload until you find the right person. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the bigger you get, one person isn't really killing you. In the small stuff, you have one property go bad or one property manager that doesn't want to work for you, gets another job opportunity, cuts you deep in the heart. Like, oh, we just lost our superstar. How are we going to, how are we going to redo this? So that's yeah, that, that is, um, I do love economies of scale. Yeah, that reminded me of, I, I read Grant Cardone's book, uh, it was Creating Wealth in Real Estate. And he talks about, well, if you have multiple units of production, then if you have one person or one family leave in that apartment complex, you barely feel it. Whereas if you have a home, maybe it's even a duplex, you have half of your rent go or all of your rent go for one month, yep. you feel it immediately. Oh, yeah. So that's a, that's a huge benefit of having your risk over not just one or two doors, but hundreds of doors. And, and a lot. Yeah. So with doors, but it also applies to employees too. Mm-hmm. So that you just, you got to have good people. And we had, we've gone through a couple assistants and people that have had different jobs and I'll throw out a bone to, to our asset manager. His name's Taylor Maurer. Mm-hmm. And he came on for us in november we started in-housing all of our stuff in texas just because the management fees were to go change a doorknob might cost 200 bucks we're like whoa like what what was that oh we had to subcontract it out nobody was available this company came out no no like you guys need to do that for 15 bucks have somebody go out there it takes 10 minutes to change out a doorknob and then reimburse us for the parts Long story short, when we ended up firing them and putting in Taylor, he did an amazing job, an amazing job. Like our, our numbers just have still, they're continually to dramatically increase bottom line. Mm-hmm. But he also came to us and asked for a raise <laughs> and we were willing to give it to him. We gave it to him because he was producing that much more for us. And you look on a 200 unit apartment complex, you increase the rents 10 bucks. It's a lot of money, right? So when some an employee comes to you and asks for ten thousand dollar raise, you're like, "Well, you just increased the uh, net operating income for the year forty grand. Yeah, we'll give you ten grand, right?" So you have to have the right people on the ship. And since we're on the subject of why people fail on that, mm-hmm. um, I'm a people. Ple- I, I'm not a people pleaser, but I I do like people and I like to have good relationships. Yeah. And <laughs> you got to be willing to fire quickly. 
I've, I've kept the wrong employees for too long thinking, man, they're doing a great job. I'll get to hiring later. And the reality is when you need a new hire, you should be doing interviews until you find that right person. And when you let go of the, the other person, it's not a crack at them as a person. They're just not doing what you need them to do. They might have other skill sets. So they're going to do good with somebody else. But you can't look at it as a disservice to them. You got to do it as, hey, if I keep this person, they're doing a disservice to you know, 50 other investors that I'm working with. So you got you to gotta have some guts because your obligation is not to your employees as much as it is to your investors because the whole business is based off the investors. Now, I'm not saying it's not important to pay your employees good. We pay them good even if they're not doing well. I believe it's you've got to take care of your employees. But you also got to be willing to cut ties with them and have them go find another place where they can flourish if they're not flourishing in, in their role with you. Yeah, I think I've heard it from multiple different people, but you hire slowly, fire fast. And it's if if you're not serving them the way they need and they're not serving you, then it's probably better for them to to cut and then go somewhere else. So that's great yeah. advice. Um, let's let's transition slightly and and talk about some of the the struggles that that you've been able to see maybe in other people, maybe their external struggles and how you've been able to, to help eliminate some of those challenges with, with real estate and help people see the vision of what's possible when, when maybe at the very beginning they can't see it as clearly as you because you're a little farther down the path. How do you, maybe two, I'll give you two examples on that. So one will be with a buddy of mine. His name is mm -hmm. Daniel Franco. Cool. And um, he is in charge of the post office for, I think he's in Orem now. They've moved him around a couple of times. But I met him. He was uh, actually inquired off of realtor.com. So my phone rang. We got in contact, put him in contact with the lender. He was looking to get into real estate. My buddy, Kylan and I, who's a good, he's one of my partners as far as the lending stuff for here in Utah. We took him out to lunch. Um, and we had a great interaction with him. You could tell the guy wanted to get started. He pulled out HELOC on his personal residence. But uh, even though the deal or the uh, the timing probably was perfect for him, it was right during COVID, he didn't act. And he waited and waited and waited. And I kept on following up with him. Hey, like, when are we going to do a deal? When are we going to do a deal? He's perfectly qualified, made good income, had good savings. And he was actually like, he's like a knight in shining armor nowadays because eventually I had a deal where my brother was under contract, another brother. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you met Jared, but Jared was under contract on a house and the deal fell through and, but the deal was good. Um, so I came in and I bought the deal and I was like, I need a partner on this. And I called Daniel Franco. I said, hey, we got a really good deal under contract. I want to, you know, it was, my brother was going to buy it. There's things going on with him where he can't. I want, I need a partner. Do you want to come in and do this property with me? And he finally took the jump. And it was after about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. That one property, I think the mortgage payment is like 2,300 bucks. It's a, it's a single family home in Provo. 
but we built, we remodeled the entire thing for about 60,000. Um, and we're all in it probably less than a hundred, probably less than a hundred grand. Um, but we remodeled the basement. We added a kitchen, we remodeled the top, you know, kitchen, separate laundry room. And then on the back, there's this massive room that had its own entrance, just like a box with its own room and bathroom. We ended up putting a little studio kitchen in there mm-hmm. and rented it out as a studio apartment. So it became a triplex. And that one property returns about 30% return on cash every year. It's an insane cash flow property. But that got him kickstarted to where he's like, oh my gosh, maybe I should actually listen to Jordan and, and do some more deals. So we ended up doing another deal where he flipped a property and then did another deal that was seller financing. And then he bought another house and rented out the house he was in. And now I think he's done like five deals in the last two years. Oh, something's happening with the audio. Oh, still there? Yes. Oh, you're good. I can hear you. We just had a guest that wanted to come and listen okay. as well. So that's great. Cool. <laughs> How you doing, Jake? <laughs> welcome, welcome. So the, the reality is sometimes you just got to jump in because who knows if we would have done good on that deal. Like yeah. Maybe that deal in Provo, it would have flopped, right? But once you get your feet wet, it's the same thing as getting into a pool, right? Like you don't know if you're going to get in. Once you take off your shoes and you step in, a lot of times you're like, well, I'm already into my ankles. Might as well get into my knees. Well, my girlfriend's splashing around. She thinks I'm a wuss. Might as well get in. And the, uh, the reality is you got to take your first step. So yeah. many people just don't take their first step. They want a home run. And if I could give any piece of advice to the new people, because anybody that's seasoned in real estate knows this. Home runs don't exist in real estate because you don't know if it's a home run yet. Even if it looks like a home run on paper, you might buy it and it might flop. You buy deals that look good on paper and you execute, you might have some that make a little or a lot. You don't really know. But the reality is you have to swing for base hits and every once in a while, you're going to hit a home run on accident. You're going to have a pretty good, you know, idea when it hits on that bat that you're going to hit a home run but you've got to get in the game yeah it's i I think so many people probably are going to listen to this and be like dang that's me but they're not going to reach out to you they're not going to reach out to me they're just going to think yeah i'll get into it in three months or six months or this or that and it turns into years yeah the other other uh example i'll give you is my brother rob he's my partner now but when I first got into real estate, um, I still remember him still working for Vivint in the call center. I was telling him, I'm getting my license. I'm going to go big in real estate. And he's like, well, yeah, if you, if it works out for you, I'll jump ship. Um, and he would always call me and ask how it's going. I think he's doing great right now. And he, he has a, he's done great. And there's nothing bad about his path. But had he jumped ship, you know, two or three years earlier, I honestly think it would have propelled me and him because we work good together. We probably have been doing what we're doing now three years ago. 
Yeah. And, and I don't know where I'm going to be in three years. So wherever that's going to be, we would be there now. But um, I think a lot of times we say, hey, oh, that guy can be the guinea pig. Mm-hmm. And I luckily I've never I've always been the guinea pig and it's worked out. But I think if you're not willing to be the guinea pigs, a lot of times you're waiting on people and you never achieve the success you could have achieved. Hmm. So, and I'm not knocking Rob because Rob has done great. He's a great partner. And, but I, th- I think sometimes just the people that are waiting to get started, if you have an inkling, if you have the desire to get into real estate or get into whatever, life's too short not to start. You don't know if you're going to get hit by a car tomorrow. You got to, you got to try to do what you love. And if it works out, that's awesome. But if it doesn't, the reality is you did something that you love and you try it and you know, now you can pivot and use that experience to go into someone else. I would never got into syndicating into syndicating if I hadn't got into real estate as a realtor Mm -hmm. and started doing my own deals, like, and started asking people for money and watching YouTube videos about it. Mm-hmm. it. The whole way I got into syndicating was I pivoted. Realtor, fix and flips, buy and holds, partnering with people, syndications, and soon funds. But I would never would have known I even what that was if I hadn't just started jogging. I'm not saying sprint. Don't You don't have to sprint in the re- into the water. You know, there could be an alligator in there. Like, just dip your toes in, look around, but dip your toes in get wet i think starting is almost always the most challenging part for people but once you start you want to stay started and i think this little quote pops into my head by warren buffy's like the the secret to investing he's ready for this he's like don't lose money that's rule number one and number two is don't forget rule number one yeah (laughs) and i think uh, sometimes we let that type of advice stop us because we're like, oh, we have to make sure that this is perfect before we take action. Yep. Imperfect action almost always helps us move forward in the direction we want to go rather than thinking about it all the time. Yeah. I mean, and I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to be, man, I don't need to hear this. Like I'm already taking imperfect action, mm. but I think it, a lot of people think they're taking imperfect action, but they're not taking enough. So they they just need to put in that little more effort or they're taking a lot of action and it's not in the right direction. When I was about 25, 26, um, I was meeting with my bishop. I'm a member of the LDS church and mm-hmm. just going through my life. And, and you know, you have those, those interviews with them. They check up on you, see how things go. And what my bishop told me, it's always stuck with me. He said, Jordan, you run really fast. You, When you go at something, you run head for it. And what he said was outstanding for me. He said, before you start running down the track, sprinting, stop. And take a look at the different options. And dabble a little bit in the different options before you start heading down the wrong track. Cause you're heading this way. You should be heading this way. You're just growing further apart. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think some people have to hear that too, that they're taking too much action in the wrong direction. 
That's my fault. Like I'm not the guy who doesn't take action. I am the guy that probably takes too much action in the wrong. You you know the eighty twenty rule. Mm-hmm. Pareto's principle. Right. It's great. Right. So I do a lot of eighty percent activities because I'm good at them, and the reality is, <laughs> you have to have humility and be able to delegate and say, "Hey, I know I suck at creating systems. I'm not the best system creator. I'm the best at just." A vision and, and going and op and, and doing cold calling networking but i need to create a system sort of those 80 percent i can give to the people that do those things way better than me mm. right or even do they even say the 80 percent rule works and somebody can do something 80 percent as good as you right and still you should give it to them because that 20 percent is going to create you a lot more wealth mm-hmm. So it there's the two different spectrums, and I think you have to know what personality you are. If you're not taking action, dip your feet in the water, get wet, and then you're going to want to get more wet. And then if you are the type of person that's doing too much, slow down, like take a vacation. Seriously, like go camping, do something where you're thinking to yourself, and maybe you have your spouse with you, maybe you have your business partner, and, and you take that time to decide, all right, we have all these goals. There's no way in heck we're going to achieve all of them. Which ones are going to do us, are going to bring us the most money and most happiness? And then you go after those. So if we can give some actionable advice or maybe a call to action for someone that's brand new, you said start and stay started or go and take that break. What would you do for someone that maybe they're in the game and they're like, man, I don't know if I'm on the right path. What have you done to be able to, to recognize your strengths, your weaknesses, like maybe your SWOT analysis? What is it that you do yeah. to really recognize what's my next move? How do I need to pivot? Because you had a, ha- a handful of pivots in your career. Yeah. I mean, go talk to the people that love you the most, people that aren't willing to tell you you stink <laughs> and, um, do an activity with them, have them write down. This is what I did. Actually, it helped me a ton. I reached out to my mom, my brothers, my best friends. You know, I had my wife do this. Um, And I had them write down three defining characteristics about myself that were positive. Yeah. So it's, it's cool because a lot of times you see yourself as X, but the outside world sees you as Y. And the outside world, a lot of times, that's what you're protruding. And that's your strengths that they see. So you should probably capitalize on those. Yeah. And it reminds you like, oh my gosh, I really am that. I do have that naturally. Hmm. I have, maybe I should do that. So that's a good exercise is if you don't know your strengths and you're having a hard time doing it, go to the people around you and have them write three good things about you. Like you're hardworking, right? You're, you're a good leader and your inspiration or whatever those three things are, you're going to start seeing a theme. Like you love your family. You love your family. And I was like, people love that. I love my family. I should probably spend more time with my family because they know that I love them. And I do, but outside people that are close with you are going to see what you love and your strengths sometimes better than you can see it. 
So that that's one exercise. The other thing is if you're going in multiple directions, it sucks for people like me because I never want to pause. I'm always got something else. I got a podcast right now. I got this and that. But sometimes you have to stop. Go take a drive what, or a walk or whatever you have to do to be alone with yourself and decide what is going to make you happy and what direction. It's not always about the money. Like the money is great. It propels you there faster and it's an amplifier. But the reality is you, you're going to make more money if you do what you love because you're going to do it better. Um, and then for the, again, on that. Uh, so, yeah, I think just take time, reach out to people. And as far as an exercise, I don't know a really good exercise for getting started other than after you've talked to yourself, whether you're the non-starter or you start too quick, reach out to somebody to say, I'm going to do a project with you. Who cares if you make 25% and your mentor makes 75? Who cares if they make 50 or 50? Who cares if you do all the work and they just tell you two things and they take 50%? You you literally got started. You did something. Now you know how to underwrite an title. Now you know how to fix a flip. Now you know how to operate an Airbnb. Now you know how to raise capital. Now you know how to XYZ. Go do one project with someone. Stop being a solopreneur. Say, I'm going to go reach out to someone, have the guts. And if they tell you no, reach out to another person, another person, another person, until you find one person you want to do a deal with. So those would be the two exercises, I'd say. Um, I guess three. But sit with yourself, go through stuff, talk to your loved ones, see what they like about you, and partner with somebody on a deal. That's very actual. Anybody listening to this, you can do that, right? I, I can guarantee if you go through enough of your contacts, you'll find someone in there that is doing real estate near you. And if yeah. not, reach out to us. We we are we are here as as servant leaders. We're here to say, hey, our hands are up and we want to help. I, I do short-term rental management. Uh, and really with cash flowing investments, you're you're there to help people that don't want to have to know all the elements of multifamily give the money and then go make that money, make money for them. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, we pretty much provide a platform for people who want to be in real estate, but they make a lot of money doing what they do. Yeah. So a lot of the people that are around us, they love, they love integrating with us because we got a lot of door-to-door reps because they come from door-to-door world mm -hmm. or attorneys and doctors. They have a good amount of money. And they like to know because they want to get those financial reports. They want to be in the end on how we're doing projects. They want to hear about it. They don't have the time to quit their job and do even one deal. They don't have the time. Whatever they're doing, their their opportunity, time, cost of money, or time value money, right? TVM, you learn in finance. I see you went to BYU. Maybe you did finance, but the... Uh... I did theater at BYU. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, so TVM, time value money. So many people want to be in real estate. I tell them, be in real estate, but you don't have to be in real estate. That's my job. I'm in the day-to-day. -day, I like it. But if you like, you know, working on people's teeth, or if you like growing a multi-billion dollar uh, pest control company, do that. And I will be your servant and go multiply your money for you. So... Um, I'm not going to get into depth, but I base my life 
off the parable of the talents. And if you don't know what that is, it's in the Bible. You can go read it. But I want to be able to multiply my talents. So when I have to give them back to the Savior, when this is all done, he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's what our entire company is based off of, is we are being good stewards of other people's money. Do we invest our own money? Of course. I'm addicted to real estate. Of course, I put all my money in real estate. Not all of it. I have a little bit in the stock market. Ugh. But um, <laughs> if we can do that, then we're providing a service that a lot of people need. They need tax benefits. They need to know how to do the taxes. They need to know how to do cost seg. They need cheap labor. And a lot of times our returns, even though we're taking a portion of it, the return that our investors get are well above what they would get on their own. Well above. Because we underwrote the deal. We did, again, economies of scale. We have good systems in place. So our return on investment is, I mean, it's higher than what I've made on my own um, when I was getting started, just because we have more experience. But yeah, I think pick your niche and you'll be rich. I love it. And I think uh, we can end right there. It's right at the top of the hour. Thank you so much, Jordan, for being on today. How can people find you online? Uh, where where do they go to interact with you? So cashflowinginvestments.com. We have a form on there. Pretty much you just click and sends us an email to reach out to you. Um, they can follow me, Jordan Lee, on Facebook. And then Instagram, it's Jordan N is a Nathaniel Lee. So Jordan N Lee official. Um, I definitely use Facebook more than Instagram. I know it's not popular, but I'm a little bit older. And uh, but those are probably the three three main places. Excellent. Well, thank you again. I really do appreciate your your time, energy, and effort. And I I think you do absolutely live up to that talent uh, focused of saying, hey, I'm going to multiply and make sure that I am a good steward. I think you're a great steward of of other people's money and your own. So thank you for being being here and any final words before I, I sign off no just thanks for having me I'm looking forward to working with you in the future and come slip by the office soon sounds good appreciate it, Jordan take care